Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 257. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Sega Financial, Jay Pastorcelli. Jay, uh, how are we doing? First, good? Uh, doing, doing well, thank you. Another week and another new high in the markets, Derek. Did you know that? Yeah, but you know what's not a new high? Bitcoin. And it's not? Yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> two episodes <laughs> ago. For like three years. Okay. I was, okay. You know, Ooh. as the crypto skeptic, you know, I had Mike Puck on two weeks ago when you were, because um, you are the semi-permanent coast. You missed the show, only one in like the last three months. And and I, we asked the question, is it sell the, buy the rumors, sell the news? Bitcoin uh, at its most recent low. So uh, let me set the stage. I think it was January 11th was the day of the, ETFs launched, a bunch of the ETF spot Bitcoin ETFs. So it kind of was running up into that all time, well, not all time high, but it was it was a most recent high, the spike. Uh, it pulled off t- almost 21% from that high on the 11th by the 19th or no, by the, the 23rd. So bear market in Bitcoin after the launch. Apparently it was buy the rumor, sell the news, right? I don't know. I'm like, I'm thinking through this, like, look, like, are you saying that Bitcoin, you know, dropped enough so that now it's in a bear market? Yeah, I guess because it popped and then it dropped, but it definitely had to sell the news. And by the way, does everybody know what the news is? If you don't know what the news is, the news was the that uh, Bitcoin would be allowed to be held in an ETF, not as the future, but as the spot Bitcoin in an ETF. And the concept here was, oh, that means that now there are ETFs out here that will have a limited supply of Bitcoin. And, you know, with BlackRock and the others, uh, you know, we, we know some other uh, uh, Bitcoin ETFs. If they have to keep buying Bitcoin because people buy their fund, because the fund makes its way into you know, normal portfolio allocations, and there's only so much of it, supply and demand will mean you're going to have to pay more for Bitcoin down the road as Bitcoin will run out of supply. So that was the concept that everybody was like, ooh, if they say yes, that it can be held spot coin in an ETF, then great, it should push the it should push Bitcoin up. So that was the run up. It was a, you know, momentous run up, right? I mean, it doubled in not so long of a time period. And then you're right. Now it's sold off now that we've had the news, which, by the way, it was approved to be held in ETF. So the, there, I think there are like seven Bitcoin ETPs. Are they ETPs or ETFs? They're ETPs, exchange-traded products. I think I said ETF. I think they're exchange-traded products. They're treated a little differently. They're getting treated, I think, a little bit like GLD that holds gold or USO that holds oil, right? So those kinds of things, uh, it's whatever, the regulatory stuff is is boring to go through. But those funds that are out there, all of a sudden now can hold Bitcoin. And so the thought is, okay, great, they could do it. And guess what happened? The news came out and you're right, it sold off and it dropped. And it went from, where'd it go? From, what were the numbers you just said? Yeah, like, so 48,632 all the way down to 38,714. And today I think it was just below 42. Yeah, so it bounced off that a little bit and kind of went back to the around the announcement period, right? Right around the news period. 
when it came out. So something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so I don't know. So actually I get questions about this. I had two questions today, today alone about, should I buy, you know, a Bitcoin ETF? And, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a question that, you know, that you got to be comfortable with the volatility of, of crypto, the viability of it. Derek, I think will never buy one, but that doesn't mean anything because I probably would. So, you know, there's an interesting mix here of just people that are, it's a very polarizing, uh, investment. I didn't say asset class on purpose and because uh, it's not deemed to be an asset class yet. But, you know, it's one of those things that I think there's folks that want to have some exposure to it. Can these ETPs, these exchange traded products actually be a way of getting it without you having to open up an account at Coinbase and then figure out how to trade it on your own? Everybody knows how to buy an ETF. Most people know how to buy an ETF. So you just buy that and that's easier than going out and storing it and hoping somebody doesn't steal it from you or whatever. Um, it's probably an easier way to access uh, through an exchange-traded product than if you're going to buy it on your own. So that's what I would say. If you're going to buy it, maybe these exchange-traded products are going to be uh, a, a more convenient way to get it. That's all I would say. I love that we're on opposite sides of crypto. It's always a fun thing. I will point out though, and because I'm the one who pulled up the chart, I can point out the anything I want in the chart. This is example 8,032, why Bitcoin is not a currency. I'll explain. Imagine you were selling your car for $48,000. You know, I'm going with this, $48,000, 632. That's what you wanted for your car. That's what your car is worth. You sell it and somebody walks up and says, hi, I'd like to buy your car. Fantastic. I'll pay you a Bitcoin because it happens to be exactly 48,632. Excellent. I take my Bitcoin. I sold my car for exactly what it, I feel like it was worth. And then what is it? Two weeks later, it dropped $10,000. So I essentially just sold my car for $10,000 less. This is an example of why, in my opinion, this is abject failure as a currency. It's too volatile. If this is a currency, NVIDIA stock's a currency. But as far as the, uh, I agree, Jay. I mean, it, it, the average person, and although crypto sort of dominates maybe social media and some of the other things, the average person wants nothing to do with getting a crypto wallet or vault or whatever it is and doing that. So we'll see. You, got, I think you, this, don't, get, you don't got cold storage there? And right, you're, we're, we're moving on. We're moving okay, on. From move this, on. All right. Because <laughs> I have to tell you something. Very interesting. Apparently, next this year, there's no possible way it can go down, the markets. I don't know if you knew that. No I'm, possible way, you tell me? Well, according to, uh, this is from Ryan Dietrich uh, and FactSet, a 20% pre-election year in the S&P 500, and this is the title of this, equals never lower election year. I'll explain. S&P performance after 20% pre-election years, 1950 to current, every time that's happened, the election year was up. I'll give you an example. Uh, Trump in 2017, pre-election year up 28.9, election year plus 16.3. I don't know if you know this, Jay, but last year, total return on the S&P was just under 27%. I don't, I don't know if you're, yeah, you, I, I think you knew that. that. I, th I, I thought you it was, that. I thought it was 24%, maybe not 27 Oh, no, no, you're right. I'm reading the, word, the wrong column. There's also a first year of the presidency. But anyway, you go back to George Bush. I'm not going to read the numbers, but George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H. Bush, Richard Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, Dwight Eisenhower. Those are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times it's been above 20%. And the worst market outcome was 
1989, pre-election was 26.3. Next year is 4.5. So I, I guess, I guess we're good, right? Oh wait, uh, look, I, 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 well, wouldn't that be wonderful if it was yes. just easy? I did hear a different data point where, when the market is up, you know, 20, usually when the market is up 20 percent, the following year, nine out of ten times, the market is also up on average 13 percent. So mm. that this is consistent with that. This falls into that. You know that data set. There's plenty of these here that uh, that fall into that range. And actually, your average for the election year, which is the current year that we're in, right? So, if 2023 was the pre-election year, this is the election year. Um, your average is 11 percent is the average, right? After you have these uh, uh, 20 percent or greater pre-election years. I mean, it feels like the banana and beer you know, causality versus uh, correlation question, right? So, mm-hmm. you know that old story, right? Like people, it was, I guess, beer stocks and 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 fruit were kind of correlated for all these years. And it just turned out that it was just an accident. It was, a, it was, a, it, it was, a, um, it wasn't a true correlation. It just happened to be a coincidence. So coincidence versus correlation, I don't know. But heck, I like my odds on this. And the way we're starting out this year, that feels great. We're sticking to it. So let's go double digit returns for 2024. I'm in. I'm in. You're in? Yeah. Why not? I mean, who knows? You and I always joke around about the, you remember, 29 out of 30 economists said the market was going to be in a recession last year. Like predictions are just fodder. I mean, they really are. And, but, you know, this is interesting. I mean, I didn't delve into it or anything like that, but all right. I, I also didn't. I was just glancing at these and uh, I, I don't want to, I can't do it on my head whether these were incumbent. No, they weren't. They're not all incumbents. It's kind of mixed, but. Yep, um, I see it. But here's the thing too. Like we know that markets over time, I saw an interesting stat and it's kind of like if you, if you held the market and what's the percent of time you're up a month later or a year later. And pretty much if you hold, and, and I'm not suggesting buy and hold, we, we kind of like to buy and hedge. I mean, that's kind of one of the core things we do. But it's just, just this idea, give the market long enough and chances are really good that you're going to be up X percent so many years later. How much, you know, it depends. But anyway, so let's move on, Jay. Uh, I want to talk Tesla. I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm, I'm smiling. For, just for the audience, I'm, of course you're aware of this. <laughs> they had uh, a little thing. They do it once every, uh, once a quarter. They released earnings. I think the earnings that came out missed some of the analyst expectations. Tesla sold off in the in the aftermarket. I didn't attend uh, Elon Musk investor call, but uh, you know some people were talking about it. None of that actually. Well, no, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. What's interesting to us though is we watch the volatility, and the volatility informs or sort of determines what option price is going to be. The higher the volatility, the more robust the price of an option. But there's historical and there is implied volatility. Implied volatility basically says, here is, we're looking at the option prices and based upon the option prices, what is the option market implying or the expectation for future moves in the underlying, in this case, Tesla? But then we can look back, Jay, and we can look and see. But historically, what's been the actual volatility? What's fascinating here, I shouldn't say fascinating. I mean, we we sort of expect this. But if you look, the implied volatility spikes right before earnings, 
and then just drops. I think it dropped about 20-something percent right after earnings. But the gap between the implied and the historical volatility was actually pretty wide up into earnings. So I think this is, it's always a good example to use. Tesla's a pretty wide, uh, widely held stock, a lot of interest in it. But uh, we always say, you know, as sellers of volatility, the expectation is that the market is overpricing potential moves. And in reality, it, it tends to move less. But earnings are a little different, Jay. Yeah, I would. And I'll support that because, I mean, I'll back you up on that. Uh, we were watching. So for those of you that don't know, right, Tesla, had, you, you said at earnings. I don't think you said how much it was down the next day after earnings, right? I think earnings I didn't. Wednesday night. Thursday, I think it was down about 12%. Mm-hmm. The market, even though this volatility was elevated, Derek, um, the break-even was more like a 6%. So what do I mean by the break-even trade? So like if you went and bought, you know, a call and a put that expire, you know, just two days later for on Wednesday before the close, expecting for Friday's, you know, move by Friday, um, it took it would take about a 6 to 7% move for you to break even on that trade. Well, a 12% move means it moved more than the options were even pricing in. So even though, Derek, the volatility was up, going into the announcement, and then it really did move, it actually wasn't up enough. The volatility wasn't up enough to represent what actually happened in the movement of the stock. So this is, you know, I don't want to get, we've hit this before and I'll touch on it just briefly, but the whole concept of what the market thinks is going to happen, which is represented in the in the pricing of options, and what actually happens, which is the look back, um, I always like to look at it as an example you brought up one time is like your GPS, right? Like if you're going, you're driving somewhere, you're not sure how much traffic there's going to be. You look at your, I use Google Maps. A lot of people use Apple Maps. You take a look and it says, okay, you're going to be there in 20 minutes, but you actually get there in 15. Your predicted time of getting there overestimated the amount of time that 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 actually took you there. So that's the implied versus the historical, which is what actually happened. In this case, the market said, ah, you know, Google's going to move. Sorry to say Google. Tesla is going to move 5 to 6%, and it actually moved 12 So even though the volatility was higher going in, the market was like, hey, get everybody get ready. Something's going to move. It moved more than the market than people even thought. So just my two cents on Tesla, the stock. We, we pay attention to this one because we run strategies that sell options on Tesla all the time. Um, and uh, you know, it's one of those things that we're always in touch with what those numbers look like. And I would say we didn't get paid enough for the risk we took. Now, we were uh, just by the nature of a covered call type strategy, the calls we sold were bearish, which means they actually uh, uh, you know, expired worthless because the stock went down. But we should have got paid a little more for that risk that we took than what actually happened. So that's another thing that we look at, relatively speaking. Is it cheap, is expensive? Did, did I take the appropriate amount of risk? Did I get paid for the risk that I took? You only know that in hand, hindsight. By the way, I, thanks for giving me credit for one of your analogies that you created. But did I'll I take credit for one? it. It's a good one. So yeah, you did. You did. I you did it on the it's podcast. A good one is yours, Derek. That's well, it's epic. it's usually a good bet. But no, that that's one of yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I could show you another chart where the stock moved less than implied volatility was was pricing at. You know what? What did I just say? It, we had a better implied. I don't know if I said this number. The implied volatility was about 52%. And, and basically what that means is uh, the, 
Yeah, I think that was what the implied volatility was. Yeah, it was 52. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, you know, that implies sort of a, a three and 3.3, 3. 3.5% move, you know, but, you know, when you do the, the, the at the money, let's say buying the straddle and the break evens, you sort of, you have to buy both sides, right? It's yeah, but yeah, you don't know which way it's going to go, right? You yeah. can just do one half of it. Yep, that's why but that's really, that. I mean, if the move is 12% in a single day, because that's that's a, uh, the, the way you sort of do a single day, you take the implied volatility divided by 15.875. You don't want to do that and you had divided by 16. It's kind of close enough for government work. But by rights, volatility should have been about 190 if it was, if it absolutely nailed the expected, you know, next day's move. It would have had to be 190, and it was yep. off by by a bit there. By a bit, yep. Uh, by the way, Netflix had earnings as well. Went the other way, mm. right? Again, underpriced options, but Netflix, you know, had a monster move after its earnings. Uh, let me, I, you know, we haven't. I didn't prep this one, so I'm kind of doing it off the cuff here. But uh, I know that we had options that were, you know, fairly out of the money and it went through that. So it was trading at, you know, 490 and then it had earnings uh, and it went up to 540, closed today at 570. So it had an 80 point move, right, on a 490 stock. So it's a 16% move. That was absolutely not baked into the options either. Now in that scenario, again, covered call strategy, makes money when the market goes up, but didn't make as much as we could have because the calls capped us out. We were about 10% out of the money on those. So in those scenarios, you know, it's like, it's, it's for us, it's like, well, I didn't get paid enough for the options, like the risk that I took, but there are plenty of times, Derek, where options are overpricing their move and you do get paid for the, 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 the risk that you take, but fun with options. That's, that's, that should be our tagline. Uh, yeah, we'll throw it on t-shirts. We should, we should do a broken pie chart store. We should do merch. Should we do that? Yeah, Sure. We, we could do that. Absolutely. By the way, Netflix, uh, April, is this April? Yeah, April of 2022. Uh, looks like the low for that month was 185, and it actually closed at 190. What was it? You'd say 570, right? 570. 570. Yeah. Like, think about that. Netflix was actually cast aside. I, I mean, I don't we, follow stock. We don't look at the, you know, I'm not following the fundamentals. I, I show a 163 price, right, on that back in uh, May of 2022. So oh, I was, I was, I had a monthly chart up. So mine was a little, yeah. Funny. yeah. Not bad, Netflix. I oh, guess, I'm reading it wrong. Maybe I guess I need- actually stopping, you know, kids from, from stealing their parents' uh, Netflix subscription. Mine happens to go the other way. My parents are using my Netflix subscription. Turns out it's profitable when you actually get paid by all your users. So, Oh, is that? All right. Let me write that down. As a business, make sure your customers are actually paying. Okay. that's Yes. That's a good note for business. Note for business. All right, Jay, I want to transition to, uh, I feel like we've been making fun of the experts recently and well, we'll, let's do it one more time. Let's keep going. Yeah. You deserve it, expert. Uh, Merging markets. So I don't know if you've been, so here's a fascinating thing. So I'm going to talk about emerging markets versus the S&P. But before I get there, do you remember when when China kind of doing really bad would have affected our markets? Remember, I, one of my sayings is, I think it's your saying too. It, it matters when it matters, and it, you know, Greece's debt is higher than it was during the Greece Greek debt crisis, but 
doesn't matter anymore. China's not doing well. Their markets. And if you look at the Hang Seng, I mean, it's, uh, and China, you know, it's been a little below the radar, but they've been trying to prop up the market. I think they're doing stimulus, but it doesn't, I mean, we're at all time high. I just, I had that thought, like sometimes that stuff matters. Sometimes it doesn't. And yeah, interesting. You know, I'm looking at the, there's a ticker that, you know, that is kind of a proxy for China FXI, right? That's yeah, the, sure. It's not one we, we, we have any interest in or anything, but you watch it. But, you know, when I look at it, it, it was kind of capped out there in February of 2021. So it capped out early. I remember how strong it was the, the last half of 2020. So it capped out there 55 bucks. It's 22 now, right? So that's, you know, more than a cut in half. Uh, yeah, like, so, you know, 60% drop in that particular, but there's currency bubbled in there and there's all sorts of other moving things that go along with that. But yeah, you're right. China does not, their markets don't seem to be performing well. And, uh, I think one of the core sources of that, from what I've heard, I haven't been there is real estate, right? There's a lot of real estate that is just having a financial problem. So that's probably a lot of it. Isn't it fascinating though? When it matters, it matters. Like I can remember when China was selling off and it, you know, CNBC did this, the extended special and had the red graphics everywhere. And it was, and now this, this time, not as much. Um, well, let's get to emerging markets though. And and you remember early in, in 2023, a lot of people, a lot of quote unquote experts were on saying, this is the year for emerging markets. This is the year because what we're seeing is this gap is really wide and the relative valuation. And by the way, this stuff is hard to try and predict markets, to try and, you know, pick this stuff. Developed markets, developed international actually, I think, surprised people to the upside last year. And developed markets is your developed, you know, uh, you're thinking like an example, right? Like the UK, France, Germany, Japan, yeah. Germany, yeah. Scandinavian countries, uh, EM, when you get to EM, you like the emerge EEM is is one of the you know the probably the most well known uh, ticker ETF. China is about twenty six percent of that. India is seventeen. Taiwan sixteen. Uh, South or Korea is twelve. South Korea, yeah. Then you got Brazil, Saudi Arabia, South Africa. So China is more than a quarter of that. And if you look, Jay, since January third, now January third, why am I picking January third? A random date? It's not random. That was the old all-time high in the S and P. We just exceeded that. But the relative return is, let's see, EEM is down twenty-one percent since then, and the S and P or SPY versus EEM ETF is up plus one point eight. Total return minus sixteen point nine five. Versus plus five one three. That's a difference of what is that twenty twenty two ish percent, right? Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yep. Yeah, not. I guess. I guess it didn't work. I guess it was not the year for emerging markets, right? Apparently not. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeah. No. I mean, look. It's you and I talk about this all the time, and you know, let's translate this into how we invest. You know, we are constantly presented with investment ideas, and you know, it's it's uh, not, not only people bringing to us, but we are constantly looking and we're listening. And, you know, the, the, the trade of the decade, decade plus, has been owning U.S. large caps. Like U.S. companies have continued 
to be the stronger market. The larger caps have been doing great. Um, we it's kind of why we always default to the S and P five hundred. It just you know has outperformed everything else, and so you know not a prediction there, but it has been the safer bet and the one we know better than to try to decide when it makes sense to rotate into some international, some you know small caps. Like, look, sometimes you know, the easy answer is the right answer. And this happens to be one of those scenarios where well, start with the S&P, right? That just happens to be easier. Sometimes it's just better than even trying to pick stocks. Most of the time, it's better than just trying to pick stocks. The S&P outperforms most individual stocks, which is kind of wacky to think about that because don't they all kind of make up that um, the, the, the index? The answer is no, because of the weighting and the way that the indexes work. So, you know, the winners really run in the S&P and, and they'll kind of drag it up. So all those kind of concepts work into our, you know, a lot of our core investment thesis. We just start with the S&P because it happens to be the best one to start with. It's almost like, Derek, I, I'm going to risk insulting somebody here. It's almost like, hey, I want to get a great pizza. All right, start in the Northeast, start in New York and New Jersey. You're going to get a great pizza. If you start in Chicago and you're looking for a great pizza, I'm, Sakar, I'm sorry, guys, your, your, your pies are more like casseroles. Your pizzas are upside down, in my opinion. But maybe that's a topic for a different day. I, you know, being in Arizona, there are a lot of people from from Illinois who are here. And I remember the first time I went to a deep dish Chicago pizzeria here. And yeah, I was like, what do we got here? Like, what is this? I thought we were getting pizza, you know? Listen, I it's, like it, but just don't call it pizza. I mean, if there's bread and there's tomato sauce and cheese, I mean, you know, it's not a bad not a bad mix there. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It's not automatically pizza. Yeah. It's not my preference, but I will tell you though, I've had uh Detroit style. I remember going to Detroit and there was a place and that's where they, they put the cheese on, they put the, the sauce on top. Do you know that? Like you ever exactly. had Detroit style? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like Sicilian, but it's not Sicilian. It's, you know, it's kind of the, it's not the, anyway. So I start with pizza by the SPY. That's we start with the SPY. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I'm bringing that up against international. Well, here's the other thing too. Remember, 2023 had a little bit of inflation. 2022 had a little bit of inflation. You know, and if you thought, I mean, like 2022 is a good example. If you said, "Hey, inflation's going to be really high. Inflation's going to be really high." Let's say, in, let's look at 2023. So what do you think, you know, people would, uh, people would go and, and buy? Well, they'd probably buy what? Gold and they buy treasury and in, in inflation protected securities, yep, tips bonds. Yeah. No, it was the, the tech stocks that did, did way better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck thanks, trying to. Thanks yeah. AI. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So this also brings me to the S&P 500 and the makeup. We're, Look, I mean, there are times when the makeup or the weighting of the biggest stocks starts to get kind of large. This is one of those times. I can remember when some of the oil companies made up, you know, a much bigger percentage of, of the index. But I saw a chart the other day, and I'll call this, it's not a chart crime, it's a, it's a lack of context. So the chart said, look at the earnings estimates for the magnificent magnificent 7 which of course you know we know who they are versus the the earnings estimates 
for the rest of the market. And it was actually the, the change in the future estimates over whatever the last couple months, you know, weeks or months, whatever it is. So basically, the Magnificent Seven, I think this chart said, was up four or five percent. I mean, analysts now thinks the earnings for the next year are going to be up four percent more than they thought previously. Not that they're just going to be up four percent. And the rest of them have declined. But here's why there's no there's a lack of context here. And I picked uh, two stocks, Jay. One of them is Apple, because okay. I think it's still the biggest. Uh, I actually, I think Microsoft passed it, but it's number two. I think it's a great proxy anyway. All right. Well, I'm going with this because it's it's what I went it's with. Big. Yeah. Because <laughs> you made the chart. Go ahead. Yeah. So Starbucks, though, um, I think they were about, they're probably somewhere between 75 and 100 in the weighting of the S&P 500. And here's the thing. You could have Starbucks say a, a reduction next year of 10% versus Apple, you know, reduction of 1%. Let me give you the, the thing here. I'm, I'm doing a bad job of this. Let me just tell you, 4.12 billion was the net income for Starbucks in 2023, fiscal 23. Apple was 97 billion. Okay. If Starbucks earnings net income is down 10%, is that really going to matter versus Apple just being up, you know, half a percent or 1%? And I'm not saying that's what they'll be up. Like everything gets aggregated together. If everything yeah, I mean, the, the, the yeah. contribution to earnings of Starbucks, even though they could have a great year and they could really crush it or a really bad year and really miss, really is kind of irrelevant to the big boys that are carrying everything, right? Like the, it's almost a 25x uh, contribution to the to the to, to the profits of the S and P with Apple compared to a fairly large company of Starbucks, right? Yes, it's not like it's a, it's a small cap in here. Like you're 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 really you know put your thumb on the scale to make this point. So I think your point is, uh, you know, why you bring this up is the 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 large caps continue to drive a lot of the. PE ratios, they continue to drive a lot of the growth in the markets because they're just so darn big and they're pulling everything. And I know that, that you know, that is a criticism of the indexes. Like, well, you might as well just own those seven stocks. Actually, if you just own those seven stocks, great job picking just those seven stocks. And you should have because you would have killed it last year and it would have been great, but even better than the market. But because you don't know which seven it's going to be each year. When we started out 2023, we didn't, I don't even think we had the term the Magnificent Seven yet, right? Like that wasn't even a, a term anybody used. So because you don't know that, owning the index will naturally get you exposure to the companies that are going to do the best. And actually, they naturally reweight themselves when they're doing better. The ones that do better contribute more. It's a very, yeah. I mean, this is just math, right? But it's just a concept of when you're trying to make an investment decision, you know, use things that, you know, you have a mathematical, just an advantage of when you're investing in the indexes. I get it. It's a criticism. There's only a few stocks pulling the whole thing. And those stocks, by the way, could bring down the whole thing, right? The, uh, the, the same is true. If Apple missed by 10%, you know, and and all of a sudden their earnings went from ninety seven billion to ninety billion. Starbucks to offset it would have to have almost a hundred percent growth, right? So it just can't. So the opposite is also true. Uh, uh, of yeah. like the big get bigger. The big can also push things lower too. Yeah, if Starbucks missed by ten percent. 
if Apple just increased by 0.42%, they would offset, <laughs> yeah. you know, their, yeah. their loss. I should have just started with that, you know. Apple says, if, I got you, Starbucks. Don't worry about it. If we you. actually edited this this podcast, we would have edited that out and I would have redone it. But I think one of the things, I, I will say this, though. I don't think people realize sometimes that although the index is a weighted index, meaning, you know, Apple has the highest weighting on a percentage basis, earnings are not weighted. It's just everyone, every company that's in the S&P 500, it's the same bucket. So if Apple makes a billion dollars, or in this case, $97 billion, and that's the only person who made money that year, that's, that's the total index earnings. But it's not weighted. Like you don't do, oh, 25, you know, whatever Apple's weighting is, 10% of, of that. Um, so earnings are not weighted. And I don't, think, I don't think people realize that sometimes. And that's why some of these charts and graphs, like, you know, the smaller companies just, they, their earnings could go up 100% and it, it would help, but it's not necessarily going to move the needle. As Apple going up, you know, an extra three percent or five percent. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about. Uh, well, look, maybe the 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 big ones are going to lead, and they pulled the market up, and everything else is going to catch up, and you could get this next wave of bullish movement, this next wave of increase in the indexes. Um, well, that might be true. It feels to me, based on what we're talking about here, having the big boys move first actually is is will be a bigger impact than the wave of all the other little ones kind of like Starbucks having a really strong year. They may have good year and good years and earnings may be good, but all of that, you know, goes into the criticism of even if the other, you know, 90, 493 stocks end up having, you know, an, a, you know, a really strong performance, uh, it'll be less impactful than the, these seven. And we've talked about the concentration yeah. of the seven in the past, so we don't have to revisit I think from memory, Microsoft, their fiscal year, they did about 23 billion. Think about that. 97 billion versus 23. I, and this is out of context because I'm, I'm just doing it from like, that's the annual figure and I'm not looking at sales. I'm not looking at the past, you know, do they have any charges that year or anything? But yeah, it's pretty interesting how much, uh, how much that matters. You know, speaking of waiting though, semiconductors, Jay, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they've been going up lately. Not sure if you saw that. Definitely aware of it. They've been on a roll, right? AMD, NVIDIA, Intel disappointed today a little bit. But yeah, like you're right. The semiconductors, we semiconductors are chip makers, right? Another way to say chip makers. Yeah, there's, there's really two ways to look at it. One is there's people like Taiwan Semi who don't make their own chips. They make everybody else's chips. And then there's the, the people who actually... Uh, create their own chips, but don't make them. And then there's some that do both. But, uh, you know, like Intel is one that does both, right? Because they're, a, what do they yeah. call it, a foundry. And, but yeah, and, and Jay, I mean, uh, the weighting is up too. Uh, audience can't see the chart, chart here, but why don't you take us through this one? Yeah, okay. So when you look at their contribution to the market, right? So the, the weighting of the semiconductors on, you know, when you look back, I'm going to go back uh, 20 years on this, and right? In the S&P, right, Jay? The S&P index? Sorry, as a percentage of yep. the S&P, yes. The, they're weighting. And this is this is not because the S&P changed the rating. It's just because the appreciation and depreciation of the stocks, you know, kind of changed their weighting, right? If they all doubled, then their weighting would double. So when you look at it, it kind of ranged between, up until recently, between like somewhere between 2 to 4%, right? Maybe peaked out at like 2 or 5, you know, 4 or 5%. But right now, as a reference, 
you're looking at just shy of 9%, right? So they make up 9% of the S&P 500. That is, you know, uh, I'm looking at this, I think we are at 6%, you know, maybe in 2021, but you got to go all the way back to 2023 to get something even close at 4.7. So they are kind of double where they've been recently in the last 20 years. So they are just making up a bigger and bigger piece of the S&P 500. Uh, The last time that they made up, you know, such a large portion, like their average, you know, the change of their weighting, which is, you know, obviously on the increase, was back in 2023. And so this is definitely, you know, they, the the leader in the S&P right now is, you know, not surprising the semiconductors, just they've been so strong. Um, you know, I, I I called out NVIDIA a minute ago. Let me take a look when their, uh, their earnings are. They are typically later in the earnings cycle. Uh, I think we've got an earnings call the 21st of February. So we've got almost a month until we see but that's you know that stock has been absolutely moving upwards along with AMD who's i think uh is the 30th so you know probably around the time when people are hearing this podcast January 30th so we'll see if that uh you know kind of supports that big move but you know lots of movements in the semis they're making up a bigger portion of the index as such are you suggesting that most people wait two days to listen to the podcast? I think it'll be out the 28th, right? I'm not yeah, sure. Maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe people are. on repeat. Maybe the third time listening to it, Derek, it might be a few days later. Well, they ought to do that. I don't see why not. And they should, <laughs> They should. you know what? We never really ask people to rate it and give it five stars. Give us a, give us a nice five-star rating. Apparently, people like that or Apple likes that in the rankings, you know. So, we'll take it. Yeah. It's semis are, look, I mean, you and I aren't saying to buy, if you want to buy semis, buy semis. If you don't want to buy it, don't buy it, you know, but we, we sort of buy the whole market. We hedge. That's the core thing we do. We have stuff on the periphery. To me though, with the whole AI, AI thing, this is sort of Levi's to the gold rush. You know, it's, you could have bought, I don't even know if there were any like companies that were, Hey, I could buy this company. And all they do is they dig for gold and they speculate. Or you could have just bought Levi's because everybody doing the speculating needed blue jeans. What, is, what do they call it? Picks and shovels? That's the picks strategy. Picks and shovels, which so, is not a blue jean, but picks and shovels, right? Sell the picks and shovels. Well, they need blue jeans, too. Levi's came out of the gold rush, Northern California. Yeah, yeah, the gold yeah. Rush. Oh, did, yeah. Did they do picks and shovels? I don't I don't think they were doing picks and shovels. That's they did jeans. Saying, like, I don't think they sold picks but you and needed, shovels. Well, what are you going to wear if you have a shovel? You're going to need jeans to, to go shovel <laughs> sure. stuff. I mean, this what is else what I'm would saying. you wear? I mean, it, this is why they became Levi's. You know, Levi's still, think about that. Levi's really goes back to the gold rush and stock till, still trades today. I don't follow the stock, but I know it trades. I know they have earnings. They they do stuff. So I think they had earnings this morning, actually. Did they? I heard it this morning. All right. Well, we'll maybe we'll come back next week and we'll. They're up a little bit today. Looks like they popped and then it went back down. All it's right. still up. Nice uptrend. Put so put that on your watch Levi's list. instead of AI. Got it. That's exactly what no, you said. No, that's not not now. That was the gold rush. That was, that was <laughs> a long time ago. I don't know. I mean, it, maybe you need jeans to to do AI. My point is, this is it's kind of it's different. This reminds me. It it's not the same as March of two thousand or the late nineties. And that back then, you know, the the crazy internet speculative bubble. People were actually buying companies that were trading that were, you know, it wasn't picks and shovels. 
And so this is really all the AI stuff. Like, I don't even know how you make money on that or don't make money. And I don't even know if there, there's no real big companies that are just AI companies, but it's interesting because this is the stuff that's going to, people are going to use. I don't know, you know, ask me in a year whether it would be good to buy or sell it right now. I'll let you know as that. So I will, I will tell you every single tech person I talk to like that, that works in the tech industry or is a client of ours mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's a part of AI is a part of every conversation. I haven't figured out how everybody's going to make money on it yet and how it's supposed to make everybody more efficient. We haven't figured out how to really use it yet within our business. I think maybe we got a little something coming, but yeah, I mean, it, it's on everybody's, it's on everybody's mind. So it's, yeah. it's going to be part of the conversation. All right, let's talk about our recommendations. Can I tell you, I actually put a password on my Netflix account because my wife was watching on my profile. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh, since you watched The Kissing Booth, you'll like, <laughs> so I I locked her out. You locked your wife out? There, well, you, no, she can watch. smarter man than that. It's, it's who cares? Let her have that. Why would no, you No, no, no. She has life? her own profile. But when she loads Netflix up, instead of switching to her profile, she watches on mine because mine happens to be the first one. So that's, so now what you're going to, so here's, what's the prediction on this one? So you're going to be like, ah, she's watching her own. She's going to be annoyed that she has to now switch to her profile. Is it worth it? It's very easy to do. I don't know why she's watching, but it's, I'm getting her recommendations. That's what she wants to do. Yeah. So anyway, All right, Jay, what do you got for any, anything interesting? Uh, I have, uh, queued up for this weekend, uh, the movie, uh, the creator. I want to watch that one. It's, uh, it's about AI. <laughs> oh no. Not, it was not queued up on purpose to say that, but, uh, yeah. So that's the one I'm going to watch. I've been, I think I told you I started watching the Longmire, uh, uh, series. I've been, I'm through the first season continuing into the second. So, so far we're enjoying that one as well. All right. Yeah. Anything no, that's. You? I watched the documentary called Bit Conned, you know, a perfect, perfect documentary for me. It's on Netflix. It's ludicrous. Like these guys created a fake coin and basically raised money. And they have the, the actual guys or most of the guys who did it. Some of them are still in prison. But uh, yeah, so I kind of ruined it for you there. But Confirmation you know. bias. There you go. Right. What, yeah. what did, uh, I'm not yeah. going to watch anything that says crypto. There's any utility in crypto. No, why it's would a currency. You watch crypto has positive influence in the world. You're no, only going to watch not gonna, that confirm what you like. I hear you. I'm not going to watch that. But it's, it's like thing. an hour and hour and thirty minutes. And here, here's I'll give you a bonus one, uh, an old one. Uh, Touching the void. It's a docudrama about two climbers in Peru who climbed a peak nobody had ever climbed or has since climbed, and they ran into trouble. And uh, it's it's based on the the book by Joe Sim, uh, Simpson, one of the climbers. So, pretty pretty cool. That's an old one. It's like year two thousand. God, year two thousand is old. What's happening, to yeah. Jay? Yeah, I know. well, you know, it's all going so well. All right. Well, next week we'll have more musings and uh, and nonsense that we'll come up with next week. I guess has that very good. Well, I enjoyed this one, Derek. Thanks. All right. Good luck. We're all counting on you to the audience. Thank you for listening. And yeah, give us like five stars. We can ask, right? We can ask. We can What's ask. What's the worst they can do? Give you one star. No, 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 no. It's five stars oh. or nothing. Five I, stars I, or nothing. Don't. Just don't. Yeah. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Got it. There we go. All right, Jay. We'll say nice things, nice things to each other next week as well. See you, Jay. Bye. Take care. Bye.